Well, I certainly hope everyone is doing okay. We need to jump right into the study of God's Word this morning because I don't have my the full two hours today. I am here for dual purposes. I'm here for the pastoral cohort, the church life cohort, which is going on in room 46 as we speak, but I left because that's how much I love you. So I'm going to give you like maybe an hour and then I'll have to go back, but it's okay. Everybody doing all right? You're very quiet. All things considered. Oh, wow. Fire and brimstone. Kind of. You're going to have to let me in on a little bit. What's settling it? He can explain it. Right, but the Lord gave it to you. Yes. You were the carrier of yes. the word. The deliverer. You gonna tell me what happened? Or I mean, come Online. on. Revival begins with repentance. So repent. <laughs> <laughs> that would basically sound right. Yeah. Beautiful. Question is this. From what? That is the question. That's the big question. What are you repenting from? And what are you repenting toward? Reprimand round two. Well, no, that's not a reprimand. I'm just asking. Because, you know, a repent, repentance means a 180 degree change in direction. Means... Rethink everything. So the, the, the kind of overall general call to repent. I mean, have we, I think we talked about this last week, but you know that Martin Luther said all life is repentance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that literally every, like, the, the, here's the deal. The person that is in that is connected to Jesus, the person that that is uh, in love with Jesus and walking in relationship with Jesus, we're going to be in a mode of constant repentance. It's just reality, um, because we're gonna kind of come up, brush up against Jesus, and realize, wow, that's not cool. So we'll turn. And then, and then we'll brush up against Jesus again and, and, and be like, oh, that's not cool. So, you know, like, just like, well, it's, hey, I started all day it's all right. It's, and I, I'm highly caffeinated, so I'll actually. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah for caffeine. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, there's this, we're always going to be in this constant mode of turning around. Because anytime we get a fresh whiff of Jesus, we realize we're not right. And so we're, we're going to constantly be flipping back and forth to try and match him. Because he's always fresh and unexpected and whatever. I think the disciples, I think when I think about them, I think they were like probably, it must have been difficult to live with Jesus. Because they constantly, you constantly find them saying things that they, you know, it sounds like when they say it, they expect Jesus 
to be totally on board with the statement that they're speaking at that particular moment. Like, for instance, the, the Apostle Peter, he was always kind of the, the, the butt of that moment, wasn't he? I mean, really? <laughs> because Not because he was different than the other guys, except in one aspect, is he would speak it confidently. He would just speak up confidently, and then Jesus would be like, uh, no. And he'd be oh, I'm sorry, I, uh, never mind. <laughs> Truth is, the other disciples were probably thinking the exact same thing, but they weren't stupid enough to say it out loud in the presence of Jesus. And so, yeah, because that, that was just kind of Peter's personality. Peter was never quiet about what he was thinking or, like, where he was going with things. And Jesus would use that moment to correct the whole crowd. Um, so, but you think about that moment when Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be killed and, you know, etc." And Peter is like, far be it from you, Lord. Don't let that happen to you. And Jesus is like, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, five minutes before this, okay, Peter had said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus was like, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For God, the man has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. So Peter's feeling pretty good about himself right there. That's right. <coughs> God, the father revealed to me exactly who Jesus is. Thank you very much. And then Jesus is like, oh, by the way, they're going to come and they're going to kill me. And Peter, in his confidence, speaks up again. Far be it from you, Lord. And Peter's like. I mean, Jesus is like, get thee behind me, Satan. So, you know, it's like it's, Peter's having a very a varied day, okay? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, what if Jesus looked at you and called you Satan? Okay, have you ever had that moment in your prayer time? <laughs> oh, I love you, Jesus. You're Satan. That <laughs> would be really rough. I mean, I can't imagine even saying that to somebody who was in my church, like as their pastor, looking at them and saying, you are Satan. I don't think that would be conducive to a, a, a healthy church environment. But here's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, the son of the living God, the Messiah, you know, God incarnate, looking at, at Peter and calling him Satan. That would have been a hurtful moment. <laughs> And I think the disciples were always kind of living in this uncertain place of, are we going to, you're fine. What are you? I don't feel so awkward. I, <laughs> I don't know why you feel awkward, awkward at all. Jesus, G Jesus felt unpredictable to them. At least that's my guess. Because many times when they come out with what they're thinking, they've been sitting under his teaching for years they've been getting to know him they've been living life with him and it and then they they run smack into some idea of him that they have that jesus is like that's not me and they're like oh but we thought it was oops <laughs> and um there's a, a preacher which i would recommend you finding this sermon honestly there's It's a sermon called Finding Jesus. It's by a pastor named Brian Zond. And I would recommend you finding it. It's a beautifully written, beautifully preached sermon. Just Google it. You could probably find it. 
Brian Zond, Z-A-H-N-D. He's a pastor in St. Joseph, Missouri, who I am enjoying right now, although he has some radically different views than I do on multiple things. I just heard him preach a sermon on the book of Revelation that I have to repudiate about 1,000%. But that's okay. It's okay. I like some of the things he said, but but he honestly believes that the entire book of Revelation either happened in the past and that it that the entire thing is really just a commentary on the Roman Empire and on everything that happened in AD 60 and 70. Um, so yeah, that that's what the he believes that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's just about that time period until you get to Revel until you get to the last two three chapters of Revelation, and then that's still future. So yeah. Anyway, oh no, there's a lot of people that believe that way. There really are. Yes, it's it's. Um, they are called preterists or partial preterists. He would be a partial preterist because he believes that most of the Book of Revelation happened back then. But we in the Assemblies of God are not preterists. We are futurists. We believe that the events in the Book of Revelation will have not happened yet; that they will yet take place in the drama of the unfolding of the end times. And that's where we stand with our interpretation of the book of Revelation. Um, but that's not where he stands. But that doesn't mean that every he, that everything he has to say is inappropriate. In fact, I think he is a prophet to this generation about the evils of empire and a militaristic culture. And I think that America needs this man's voice right now more than ever in history. Um, so, but anyway, this sermon called Finding Jesus is a picture of Jesus' mother, Mary. Um, three pictures of Jesus' mother. He, the first one is at Jesus' bar mitzvah when they take him to Jerusalem for the first time. And you know the story, you know, Jesus gets lost, Right? They all leave and Jesus stays in Jerusalem and it's three days later before they figure that out. That where is Jesus? Have you ever traveled in a big group of family and like kids just swap cars and, you know, and it would be really easy for you to lose one of your kids that way. And, And that's what happened with Mary and Joseph. They get down the road three days before they realize Jesus isn't with them. It's one of those, I thought you had him. I know, I thought you had him. Oh, no, where's Jesus? So they go back to Jerusalem. You guys know the story, right? They go back to Jerusalem, and they look for him everywhere, and they find him in the temple. Okay, we've got 12-year-old Jesus instructing the rabbis and the, and the, uh, and the, the Pharisees in the law. Okay, He's, he is... Telling them what's going on. Well, it is classic Jesus. And that's the thing is when they find Jesus, he's not apologetic at all. They're like, why would you do this to us? And he's like, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? He doesn't say, oh, mom, I'm so sorry I worried you. No. Jesus is like, I'm here doing I'm here being who I am. And so Mary encounters this reality that this 
young man now is not who he who she thought he was. Does that make sense? Jesus is someone different than she thought he was. And she knew he was special. She knew about, you know, obviously that he was born before she'd ever known a man. She knew that he had promises over his life, but she had been spending the last 12 years with him. And she had put together a picture of who Jesus was in her head. And now he surprises her. And guess who was wrong? I'll tell you, I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Mary. I mean, it wasn't Jesus. It was Mary. Mary was wrong. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm sorry, that's my... It wasn't, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't the one that was wrong. Jesus was being himself, and Jesus had not changed. But Mary's perspective on Jesus needed to change. Does that make sense? And Mary's perspective on Jesus being readjusted to actually be a, a correct perspective of who Jesus is, we call that repentance. Even the father, the mother and father of Jesus yeah. had to change their view. When we're walking along, doing what we feel like God wants us to do, and we find ourselves in a place that looks nothing like Jesus, sounds nothing like Jesus, smells nothing like Jesus, and we wake up in that moment and we realize, I've gotten away and my perspective of Jesus is not the Jesus that's being revealed to me by the Word and by the Holy Spirit in this particular moment. That's a moment where we need repentance right there. Even if we believe in that moment, I'm completely in God's will. All of a sudden it's revealed to us, no, you're not. You thought you knew me, you don't. Okay? This, but that's not the last time that happens to Mary. Because about 20-odd years later, Mary comes to visit Jesus as he is doing ministry in uh, Capernaum. Jesus is teaching. There's people everywhere. Jesus is healing the sick, casting out devils, giving sight to the blind, opening the ears of the deaf. And Mary and her, her sons that aren't Jesus, her sons with Joseph, come to visit Jesus because they're worried about him. We're hearing all this crazy stuff about you. And what does Jesus say? Somebody says to Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus says, who are my mother? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He said, the people that do the will of God are my mother and my brothers. Can you imagine what that would feel like to Mary? I mean, she just got rejected by her son in, in a very real way. Now, the reason she did, again, who was the person in the wrong here? It wasn't Jesus. It was Mary. And Mary, again, got confronted with a Jesus she didn't know. Is that what my Jesus, the Jesus I grew up, the Jesus I raised, the Jesus that that is my firstborn, would he say that to me? And and her perspective of Jesus, she realized, was wrong again. So again, it was time for Mary to repent. To change the way she thought about Jesus. Not because Jesus had changed, but because Mary had changed. And then finally, on the cross, Jesus is hanging there. And he looks down and says, John, this is 
this is your mother. Mary, this is your son. And Mary, with a broken heart, had to once again change her perspective of who this man was hanging on that cross. Okay. Repentance is about what we do. But it's just as much about how we think and how we feel. It's just as much about the way we understand who we are and who Jesus is. Because the truth is that underneath everything you do is a thought pattern, an emotional revelation. Underneath all of your actions, your actions are fruit. They're not they're not root, they're fruit. And repentance needs to be way more about roots than it is about fruit. Fruit, it's when we see that fruit that we're like, oh no, I need to repent. When that fruit comes out and it's like, you have a thought about someone that does not sound like Jesus at all. You're like, whoa. Or an emotion that rises up in you, in you that does not match with scripture. And that's every way, that's everything. As soon as I say that, my, my initial reaction, because this is norm, my normal fruit, <laughs> is anger, resentment. Okay. That's, that's, that's usually the first emotion that gives me a clue. I'm out of whack. Okay, and then I gotta trace that back to the to the root and find it and and say, okay, Lord, you're gonna have to help me pull this out. For some people, though, that's not because shame is also an emotion that does not come from God. Fear is an emotion that does not come from God. Okay, so we need to zero in on hatred. Fear and shame. Okay, those three things. There's there's others as well, but those the those are the three that this is especially in my life. If if rage or hatred, fear or shame are being manifested in my emotions, and I know that that those three things are fruit of a root that is not the Word of God. Does that make sense? So if I'm feeling those, I need to I need to follow that plant back to a, to the root and ask the Holy Spirit, will you reveal to me? Okay, there's I'm really ashamed, right? I'm just feeling real shame. I don't feel like I can be vulnerable and transparent with the people around me. I don't feel like I can be vulnerable and transparent with you, Lord. I'm feeling that right now. Where's that coming from? Holy Spirit, show me. Because the Bible said the Holy Spirit knows our innermost part. And the Holy Spirit will walk us back and help us to find the belief that we have, the thing we believe that isn't the Word of God. 
when we find that, that thing we believe that's not God's word, then we can say, okay, I want to, I got to get rid of that belief system. Now, here's the thing. Some of those belief systems are so huge and so complex. And so that it's going to be quite a process of detangling yourself out of that belief system. I will never forget the first time the Lord began to speak to me about fear. And, uh, and I, I, I don't remember a time before that, that the Lord spoke to me, spoken to me about fear, but I was at the one thing conference in Kansas city, Missouri. And the Lord said, let's go on a walk. So I walked down and I went around, whatever. And all of a sudden the Lord, I was sitting there and the Lord said to me, we're starting today. I'm going to begin to remove fear as an influence in your life. And I was like, okay. Like it didn't, you know, it just didn't even ring really with me because the truth is I didn't even know that I was afraid, but as the Holy Spirit began to reveal, he began to just uncover myself to me and he showed me, I would never forget this day because he showed me, he said, Josh, you, I know you don't feel afraid, but that's because this is so normative for you. He said, you obey the voice of fear much quicker than you obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. He said, you, most of your life and the patterns of your life and the way you've lived your life, most of your life is controlled by fear and not by my spirit. And I was like, that's really harsh. I felt like he was like, get behind me, Satan. That's what it felt like. I was like, what? No, I'm a spirit-led person. And he's like, you're not. He's like, sure, you're a spirit-led person. It's just not my spirit leading. It's a spirit of fear. And I was like, you're mean. He said, I'm loving you today, so you needed to pay attention. And the Lord began to show me relationships, people in my world that I had avoided out of fear. Situations in my world that I had avoided out of fear. He's like, I had, there were people that I was supposed to be ministering to. A couple of them were at the conference with me. That I would not, that I just didn't minister, I just wouldn't minister to them, except in kind of a non-personal way. If they were sitting in the crowd and I was teaching class, fine. But like a one-on-one kind of a, you know, real ministry kind of a thing. He said, the reason that you can't, you have not been able to minister to this person is because fear warns you away from this person every time. And it was honestly a fear. It was a fear of rejection because this person's like the way they were, they just, I was intimidated by how cool they were by like how, like, I don't know how easily they made their way in social circles and stuff. It's, it's hard to explain. It made sense to me at the time. I'm a lot more free from that stuff now, but I'm still, the Lord will still, every once in a while, I'll be like, there's another one. I'm like, oh, uh, I thought I was done with this because the, the Lord began this process in me in 2001. Some of you are like, I was born in 2001. <laughs> I'm just saying, there are roots that take that long. Now, maybe the Lord could have done it faster if I had 
more cooperated with the Holy Spirit in that in the time between now and then. But you need to understand, you have whole root systems, whole gigantic trees of things that you believe that are not the word of God, that the Lord would uproot. Because when, as long as that part of your field, the field of your soul, is polluted by those thoughts, those emotions, he can't work there. And that portion of your life is bearing fruit, not for the Lord's glory, but for the glory of fear, pride, whatever you name the sin. Which fits beautifully into Philippians chapter 1. <laughs> We're at verse 10. Last week we talked about, we pray that your love would still abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And he says, I want this for you, that you have real experiential knowledge of the love of God, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Love born of experience and marked by clarity are to be the fountainhead of behavioral and moral judgment in the body of Christ. Okay? This is exactly what I'm talking about right now. It isn't a coincidence that the Lord led us to this moment because this is exactly what I'm talking about. Because if things that are flowing out of you are not flowing out of, out of a place of the experience of the love of God and his character and nature, then that thing flowing out of you is not from him. Does that make sense? We are to be a people who live in response to the love of God coming into our lives. And the love of God toward us should form and inform our response to the rest of the world. That means when someone is not showing love to you, it doesn't matter. I respond to you, not out of what you said to me, but out of my revelation of how much God loves me and how much God loves you. Does that make sense? Are you all with me right now? This is perfectly clear. My response to you and to the Lord needs to come from my revelation of who God is and who I am in his eyes. And if if I am that in his eyes, then that is who I am. Nobody else gets to put labels on me. Nobody else gets to put, to throw in their idea of who I am. The creator, my creator, my recreator is speaking identity over me and he's saying true things. Now, some of those true things have not, are not yet fully manifest in my life. When the Lord says over me, you are 
spotless. That's not true. I have freckles. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the Lord's speaking identity over me, and that identity will be fully manifest. And that identity is eternally true already in Christ Jesus in this moment. That's reality. But in this earthly dimension, it's not fully manifest yet. Just same thing. Jesus is the ruler of all things at this moment. Do you agree? Yes or no? And yet his rulership is not fully manifest in the earth at this moment. There's a day coming when it shall be. Is everybody clear on the word manifest? It is okay to say you're not. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, say I was a say I was a billionaire. Okay. And I walk into this room as a billionaire, and I have at my disposal a billion dollars. Okay. Am I a billionaire? Yes or no? In that room. Is that true about me? Yes or no? Yeah, it's true. I mean, not in this moment. I'm just saying, if I say if I am and I walk into this room, I'm a billionaire in your midst. Okay? But that reality is not manifest to you until you see my billion dollars. Okay, imagine I get the billion dollars out of the bank and the banker just cries and say, withdraw all my billion dollars. And I have my stack of $100 bills that like fills this room. And I'm like, here are my billion dollars. This is my billionaire status made manifest. Does that make sense? My billion, my status as a billionaire is now made manifest to you. You can see it, touch it, experience it. It's manifest. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. So the rulership of Jesus is very real in this moment. But when the rulership of Jesus is made manifest is when we can see it, touch it, feel it, experience it. So the rulership of Jesus is made manifest when Preston, who, who is full of demons, comes in here. <coughs> right? Okay. <laughs> And he's just like, you know, uh, depends. It depends. It depends. Some demons are, are very sweet and very, I'm serious. They're very like, they're seductive. Yeah, you don't want to. It's not fun. I mean, there's one sense where it's kind of fun. But there's, but because what happens, let me, let me, let me give you a clue. Okay. When, when someone begins to manifest a demon, your human reaction is going to be run. Okay. But immediately following that human reaction in my experience, cause I've only maybe three times in my life actually come face to face with a demon manifesting person. Okay. In my experience, everyone, every single time that that's happened, my immediate human response was, ah! you know, okay? <laughs> it's a demon, right? Okay. <laughs> Okay, but then 
the Holy Spirit rises up in you like a roaring lion, like, not in my house. Like, that just just comes over you. You're just like, like it just I don't know. It's this boldness, this, like, and the first, <laughs> one of the times I was like, I literally started laughing, like, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> because, like, the fear was just, like, just pushed at me because the Holy Spirit's like, you know, my God's not dead. He's roaring like a lion. I've experienced that, okay? Here he is. I just felt like the lion of the tribe of Judah just come over me, like, you know, like I grew a mane, okay? And I was like, you shut up and get out of here, you know? And and you see the you see the fear in the demon's eyes, just like, authority, ah! Okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, okay the the one time that the one time that that like i didn't actually see it i was on the phone with someone this this was a really fascinating experience but i'm on the phone and this guy <laughs> he had called me at like three in the morning the day before okay and and left me a message on my phone because I didn't answer it. It was an unknown number and it was calling me at three in the morning. I'm like, I'm not answering it. So <laughs> left me a message. And this is all the message said. I was told to call you. Click. Oh. Right? Yeah. So of course I called him back. <laughs> I called back and I was like, hi, this is Pastor Josh Hawkins from uh, First Assembly. I just got a call from this number. Yes. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a brand new Christian. There's something in my house and it's like throwing things around in my apartment. Like, I think it's a demon. I need to know what to do. And I was like, it's three in the morning. I said, I'm not coming over there right now. I love you, but I'm not. So I just, I said, I said, here's the truth. If I'm you, I'm just going to get out of there. I'm going to find someplace else to stay. Do you have a place you can go? Yeah, I can go to my mom's. Great. Go sleep on the couch and call me tomorrow. Okay. So we talked the next day. And I'm talking to him because he's brand new baby Christian. I mean, just right, just started following Jesus. And I'm asking him these questions about his, okay, demons can't manifest like that. See, that's a demon manifesting. Okay, a demon manifests when they're when you can see them, <laughs> or they are doing something physical outward. That's manifestation. Manifestation is an inward reality that's being that's showing itself in a physical or tangible way. Okay, that's manifest. So demons can manifest, and Jesus can manifest too. So we talked, and I'm like. Here's the deal. I can cast the demon out of your house, but it uh, unless you revoke its authority to come back, it can come back. And the Bible says, Jesus told us, if you cast a demon out of someone and you don't fix it so that demon can't come back, it'll come back with seven of its buddies. So you don't want that. And I'm like, here's the deal. I could come over there. I could bless the house. I could cast the demon the demons out. That's not a difficult thing for a person who understands the authority we've been given in Jesus. It has nothing to do with me or even the words that I say, although the devil is quite a legalist and he's, if he finds holes in your words, that's why it's a really good idea to find good deliverance kind of prayers because if the devil can find a hole that you've left open in your verbiage, he will use it. But anyway, 
because that's just how he is. So find a good deliverance ministry, find their prayers that they have, etc. Use them. It's a good idea. Anyway, I said, but you are a follower of Jesus. He said, yes, I am. I said, you already, it's only been like three weeks. (laughs) It's like, but you already have Jesus inside of you and you already have the authority to remove this presence from your home right now. And I said, so talk to me. And I found out that he had held a seance or something in his home. Um, and that's when he gave permission to the, this demon to come into his house because he told it it could come in. He didn't say, hey, demon, come into my house. So obviously, but, but he was like, but he was calling for spirits to come and speak to them. And they did because that's what happens. That's why you shouldn't do anything with Ouija boards or seances or anything like that because you can give authority to the enemy to mess with you. And he can't mess with you unless you give him authority to mess with you. And you do that by agreeing with him in some way or shape or form. Don't do that. It's not a good idea. Okay? And anytime I feel like I may have inadvertently given authority to the enemy, I will out loud say, if you think I have given you any authority in any way, shape, or form, I just revoke it in the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. You have no authority in my life. Amen. Okay. You have to say it out loud, though, because they can't read your thoughts. Moving on. The authority of Jesus is manifest when demons come into a place. When I began to pray for this young man, I was like, okay, we're going to pray. Okay, together on the phone. I want you to repeat after me. And he's like repeating after me this prayer, this deliverance prayer. I revoke authority. I revoke any any authority I've given to the enemy through that seance that I did. Whatever he gets like four words into that statement, and just I hear this from the other side of the phone. I was like, "What is going on? Are you okay?" Not answering. I'm like, <laughs> I was like. Spirit and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me in that moment that this was an Antichrist spirit. So I just, Spirit of Antichrist, stop your manifestation right now in the name of Jesus and let him speak to me. <gasps> it was choking me. It was choking me. I don't know what to do. It was choking me. Right? And I was just like, okay, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm like, you could wait for me, 20 minutes for me to get over there, but let's just do this right now on the phone. So I spoke to this spirit that the Lord had told me. I said, you may not manifest again. He does not want you in his life. I said, now, let's do that prayer again. It's not going to happen again? No, because I told him he's not allowed to do that. He's like, well, but, you know, I'm a pastor, and there's kind of like, you know, it's like that, oh, pastoral authority thing. Truth is, he has just as much authority as me. He just doesn't know how to use it. So we walked through this prayer, and he was like, oh, wow. I was like, what? And he's like, you know, I feel so different right now. I said, yeah, because that demon had to go. (laughs) And I said, you need to know, that was you praying that prayer, not me. So you have revoked its authority. It can't come back. You're not going to have any more problems. And then I did get to meet him face-to-face a couple days later, and he was like, I was like, anything? He's like, no, nothing's happened since. And there's just such such a lightness, such a freedom 
and my home that I haven't experienced since I lived there. So the truth is there was probably something going on before he ever got there. And he just, but he wasn't saved at the time, so he didn't know. When we moved into our house in Angola, I went up there before my family got up there and I just said, I just walked around the house going, okay, anything that thinks it's allowed to live here or has been given permission by prior owners to live here, you are, you, you no longer have author- permission or authority to be here. You need to go now in the name of Jesus. So anyway, that's the authority of Jesus being made manifest in, in a really tangible way. This demon presence that was there is now being removed. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. But in other areas, there's places where we pray and we cast out demons or do it, everything we know to do and people still die of cancer. Or, you know, That's because the full authority of Jesus has not been made manifest in the earth yet. But there's a day coming when it will be. Okay? So that... <laughs> so... The love born of experience and marked by clarity is the fountainhead of the behavior and moral judgment of the body of Christ. When we experience his love, and Ephesians 3 talks about being rooted and grounded in his love, that this is our foundation, our encounter with the love of God, our understanding of the love of God, our uh, God's love being poured into our hearts when that is our identity and the what forms our philosophy then we will be able to look at the world we'll be able to look at people we'll be able to look at situations and know based on the love of god what's excellent what's good what's right Does that make sense? We will have clarity to be able to make decisions in the world we live in. Okay? I pray this prayer all the time, that I would love Jesus. I want to love what you love, and I want to hate what you hate. I want my priority list to match yours. The church has a very long history of majoring on the minors. It's just the truth. The church also has a very long history of aligning itself with spiritual powers and authorities in earthly places. Calling things good that are not good. Because that thing is better than the other thing. The most dramatic time that the church ever did that was in 300 300 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, when Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire. An evil, twisted, broken, earthly, human empire was now approved by the church and was able to take the authority of not just earthly authority, but the church and wield it in the earth. When kings, be careful. When you see a human leader 
tell you that he's approved by God. Because he's wanting to not just wield political authority, but he's also wanting to wield spiritual authority over you. And that is, there is only one leader who is going to be allowed to do that. And he's not here yet. He's already in charge, but it's not fully manifest yet. There'll be a day when Jesus sits on the throne, God and man in one place, ruling over the earth, and he will be allowed to say that he is rulership. He can wield both both political and spiritual authority, but he's the only one. So please be careful. Okay. That we would love what God loves and hate what he hates. He says, in order to be sincere, this word sincere literally means not fake, not hypocritical, but real. Can I urge you, please be sincere. Please, I'm begging you, be yourself. In ministry and everywhere else. Because people can smell a fake a mile away. And when you put that plastic smile on and you're like, well, God bless you, it's ugly. And it's much uglier than who you really are. When people are like, how you doing? And you're like, I'm blessed and highly favored. Oh, I just want to punch people. I'm like, you know what? That's really true. But that's not what I was asking you. And I know you're giving me that answer because you don't think I want to hear the answer to the question, how are you? You think I don't really care about you, but I do. And that's why I'm asking, how are you? And two, you don't know you that you want me to know how you really are. Is everybody with me on that? I do everything I can to try and be as real with people as I, as I can. Does that mean that every time someone asks me how I'm doing, I start off on my list of complaints? No. No, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Well, my right foot kind of hurts, and the other day I had a headache, and, you know, you gotta, I got a hangnail. <laughs> oh, please don't do that either. But just be honest with people. Just be honest. You know, I'm not doing great today. I would really love it if you prayed for me. I know we don't really have time to have a full discussion about that, but if you want to, let's go sit, let's go get some coffee or something. Okay. But let's be honest. Let's be real with people. And don't pretend you've got everything figured out. Ever. Don't ever pretend that. I'm going to always be honest with you about how I don't get this or that's difficult for me or, or I struggle with this reality because I want you to know I do not have everything figured out. I'm not even close. I'm nowhere near. There are a whole lot of theological. I have more questions about theology than I have answers about theology. But that's kind of a comfortable place. I like it. Because now I get to just sit in the school of Jesus and say, you teach me. I have some answers. 
But most of them are, Jesus really loves me. I really love Jesus. Okay. I don't need anything else. That's, I'm good. Does that make sense to everybody? I feel like you're not sincere and you're nodding. But please, let's be sincere. It says, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And you're like, blameless? I don't know. I can't be blameless. How am I blameless? This is what the Greek word means. It means not stumbling or causing to stumble. <laughs> That's better, isn't it? <laughs> you're like, blameless. <laughs> I'm going to hell. Because <laughs> right? I am definitely, there's some blame. There's blame. There needs to be blame. Blame is a great word. Blame. Did you guys ever see that that, that movie, uh, Mystery Men? You guys should see it if you haven't seen it. But there's this thing where you, this guy picks it up and he's like, what's that? He goes, it's a blame thrower. <laughs> and he shoots oh, no. it at someone and, and they start they start saying mean things about everybody. They're like, your negative attitude is ruining this team. And he's like, whoa, I got to turn this off. <laughs> There are some Christians that are human blame throwers. Don't be that person. <laughs> need to see that. Yes, if you haven't seen that movie, you need to go and see it. Like it's from it's from a while ago, but it's this beautiful satire of of uh, of of superhero movies. It, it so needs to be released right now with all the superhero movies that are out there. We've been on a satire kick in the guy's apartments. So it's been, that'll fit right into the Mystery thing. Men, it's wonderful. It really is really, really good. And it's this, there's a guy in it who is, oh man, it's it's this bunch of really terrible, not very superheroes, but they think they are and they want to be. And so, like, Ben Stiller plays a guy named Mr. Furious. Yeah, <laughs> And he's like, but the problem is it's really hard for him get ang- to get angry because he's just so blasé about the world. It's just like, but when he gets angry, he supposedly has superpowers. But uh, there's another guy named the Blue Raja and his superpower is that he can throw forks <laughs> with deadly accuracy. And then the guy that plays Pee Wee Herman plays a superhero called the Spleen and his superpower... Is flatulence. Uh, nice. Yes, his superpower is farting. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. He tells his background story. It's, he's like, he's like, <laughs> once when I was, once when I was, when I was 12 years old, I, well, we walked past a thing and I, un, I, I accidentally cut the cheese. But in my adolescent awkwardness, I blamed it on a gypsy woman who I happened to be standing nearby. <laughs> so she cursed me. Having been the one who smelt it, I would forever be the he who dealt it. <laughs> so that's his. <laughs> and it's really funny. Anyway, it's just so dumb. The shoveler. What? The shoveler. Yes, that's his. He's the shoveler. He shovels. He his. That's that's. What, yes, he he's, he tells his wife at one point. She's like, she's like, you're the best shoveler I've ever seen. But that's not a superpower. He's like, 
Marge, I shovel well. I shovel very well. (laughs) It's called Mystery Men. You have to see it. The best part is they have this, they need new members for their group, so they have this party. And it's all these other superheroes, like, that are just as pathetic as this, like, this one woman's like, I'm the PMS Avenger. I only work one week a month. And, like, it's just, there's, <laughs> Dane Cook comes out and he's, he's no. the, he's the waffler. He's like, Waffle Man, yeah! It's, you have to see it. It's, it is so good. But anyway, if you, <laughs> It's really funny. If you haven't seen that movie, you need to see it. He's like, I'm working on a theme song. It's like, Waffle Man! I burn villains with my griddle of justice. I have my syrup of truth, which is low fat, by the way. I know, right? This happens all the time in the podcast, let's be honest. All right. Waffle Man! And Janine Graffalo plays the bowler. Her father's skull is inside her bowling ball. Anyway, it's, it's, it, she has magical powers over a bowling ball that flies around and knocks into things. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so. Not stumbling or causing to stumble. That's blameless. Oh, Blamethrower took us there. I'm sorry, that was my fault. We got there, we got there by the blamethrower. I will take the blame for that. Verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, you will bear much fruit. and My, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. Okay, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Okay. He that abideth in me will bear much fruit. In this is my Father glorified. Let me ask you a question. What is the fruit? What's the fruit? What fruit is Jesus talking about? He said, my Father's glorified when you bear much fruit. What is he talking about? The fruit of the Spirit is a great answer. That's the truth. No, that is it. The character and nature of Jesus being formed inside of a human being, that is the fruit he is talking about. He is not talking about people that you win to Christ. My whole life, people told me that. My whole life, people were like, well, you're not bearing fruit unless you're winning people to Jesus. That's not true. And that's not what Jesus was talking about. Should we win people to Jesus? Absolutely. But that's not what Jesus was talking about in this passage. That's what Jesus was talking about back earlier when he said the harvest is is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the harvest field. He was talking about winning people to Jesus then. He's not talking about winning people to Jesus here. He's talking about his character, his nature being formed in you. That's what he's talking about. The The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I think what I think happened there was the Apostle Paul was looking at what Jesus talked when he was talking about fruit. And so he just took that metaphor and used it in the book of Galatians and said, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Okay? 
Because Jesus wasn't looking forward to Galatians and saying, you know, the fruit that Paul's going to talk about in 30 years. No, that's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying, when you bear much fruit, and what he meant was, when you are like me. By the way, you can't be like Jesus and not act like Jesus. I need to say that again. You cannot be like Jesus and not act like Jesus. If you aren't acting like Jesus, and what I mean by that is doing good works, you're not saved by your good works, but if there are no good works, you're not saved. Hear me. Your good works will not save you. You can't do enough good works to get into heaven. But if you are saved, you will be doing good works all the time because that is who Jesus is and you're being formed into his image. Therefore, you will be doing good works. That's why James said, faith without works is dead because here's the deal. You may be all like Jesus on the inside. If it's not coming out of you, you're not really like Jesus. Because did Jesus just like sit in a chair and just be like Jesus? <laughs> Here I am being like myself. You're welcome. <laughs> Is that what he did? No, he would. Book of John says that he went about doing good works and tearing down the work of the evil one. That was that's what Jesus did. Because being like Jesus means acting like Jesus. And we have, to be un- we have to understand that. So good works is being formed into the character and nature of Jesus and doing th- the kinds of things that Jesus is doing right now. Walking in both the nature and the works of our Savior. And if you aren't doing those things, you're probably not saved. Now, am I saying doing them perfectly? No. Am I saying doing them every every second of the day? No. But that this is the general nature of your life. The people that know you say they're becoming like Jesus and they do the things Jesus does. I, you need to hear this. Because the church is so excited about justification by faith alone. And I agree with that. You are justified by faith alone. But that's a beginning, not an end. And your faith will be made manifest or it, won't, or it doesn't exist. Because belief in the New Testament means both inwardly and outwardly. Wherever you see the word believe, wherever you see the word faith in the New Testament, you need to think this is something happening inside of me and coming out of me. If you, if you don't read that into it, you're not reading it correctly. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Now, so when you're out there doing all these good works, you should not be getting the credit for it. Because are you the one doing the good works or is God doing them through you? Our favorite verse to talk about justification by faith is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. In fact, it's right here. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Actually, I like 10 as well. 
which says this. What does it say? Ephesians 2.8. Somebody, come on. It's one of the most important verses in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by... Yes. What's... Yes. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith... is it the... Okay. By grace means it was free. Through faith, that's how you received it. I believed in what Jesus did for me, therefore I received this gift from God who gave it to me even though I did not deserve it. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So neither your receiving of the gift, nor neither the grace nor the faith came from you. Those are both gifts that Jesus gave you. By grace you have been saved through faith, the grace and the faith, both gifts from God. This not of yourselves. When he says this, he's talking about the faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And you left out the most important part of that verse. That's all I remember. That no man may boast. That's why God had to do it this way. So that your salvation would not be accredited to you. God saved you. You didn't save you. God saved you. And the whole world needs to know, God saved me. I didn't save myself. God saved me. The whole world needs to know that. But you know what the next verse says, chapter 10? For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. So everything that happened in 8 and 9 happened 4.10. For you are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. So here's how it works. God comes. God sees you a sinner. He says, I'd like to save you. You say, please. He says, <laughs> okay. He recreates you, and then he says, now, in front of you is this world, and I want you to go into this world acting like me, and I'm going to help you see every day, in every place that you go, I'm going to give you opportunities to act like me. All you have to do is hook into the Holy Spirit, listen to what he's telling you to do, and then do it. Jesus said it like this, I never say anything that I don't hear the Father saying, and I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. So in other words, everything Jesus said and did on the earth, Jesus didn't say or do. It was God the Father working through Jesus on the earth. And we are to live the exact same lifestyle. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit, doing what he's doing at any given moment in time. When I was about... 16 years old, I went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And I was reading a book by Benny Hinn. Forgive me for that, but I was. I was reading a book by Benny Hinn called The Anointing. That was the name of the book. Halfway decent book, honestly. Although some of its theology of the Holy Spirit is not correct, but whatever. You always got to eat the meat and spit out the bones, folks. That's just, that's just the truth of Christian life. 
So I'm reading this book. At the end of this book is this prayer. And the, the whole point of this book has been Benny Hinn talking about you need to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit so that he can guide you through your life. And I agree with that statement a thousand percent. You can't. It's not possible, but I still do it anyway. <laughs> By the power of the Holy Spirit, I agree with it a thousand percent. So... <laughs> At the end of the book was a written prayer that he wrote out to invite the Holy Spirit to have a more active role in your life. So I prayed the prayer. I was sitting in a hotel room. I remember the hotel room. I remember where I was. I remember what was going on. And I prayed the prayer written in the back of that book. I was 16 years old. All of a sudden, on my right, was, have you ever looked at a light and like had an afterimage of that light? Okay. Standing on my right was something like that. It looked like that. Like I had been staring into a light and there was an afterimage. And it was shaped like a person. And the Holy Spirit said, that's me. And I was like, this is weird. This is creepy. Okay, I've never seen you before, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. It was new to me, talking to the Holy Spirit. That was very new to me. That was something that Benny Hinn taught in the book. You should speak to the Holy Spirit because he is a person and he lives inside of you and he wants a relationship with you. So you and the Holy Spirit should be friends. And that was what I was trying to do. So I said to the Holy Spirit, how come I can see you? I normally can't see you. And he said, I want you to watch me tonight. And we were going, we were about 20 minutes from going to a church service that I was not going to be doing any ministry and I was just going to be at the service. And so I said, okay. We got on the bus. We drove to the church. I get to the church and the Holy Spirit was already there. And he's kind of walking around. And I saw him like stopping by people and just kind of touching them. And, and you know, whatever, just moving around. He was busy. I spent the entire church service watching him. Watching him. I watched him walk up onto the stage and I watch him grab hold of the pastor's head and stick his head inside the pastor's head and speak. And when he did, there was a noticeable difference in the atmosphere of the room. It was like, you know, when the presence of God just, that's what happened. It was like, whoa, something just happened. And I'm watching the pastor speak. Then my father-in-law, who was not my father-in-law at the time, I was 16 years old. I wasn't even dating his daughter at the time. But I ended up marrying his daughter later. But anyway, he got up and he began to sing a song. Crazy anointed song. And I said, Holy Spirit, where'd you go? Because I couldn't see him. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm completely filling him right now, so you can't see me. Yeah. By the end of that song, I was passed out on the floor by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? Okay. Right. And I was watching during the prayer time. It's, uh, I, I don't remember if it was that day several people got healed in that, in, in that church. But I don't remember if it was in the morning or in the evening. But we had a prayer time at the end. Where we were laying hands on people. And I was watching the Holy Spirit doing ministry then. The point is, the reason I tell you this is because... We're not, I've never had that kind of a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to me before, since then. That was just an introduction. Okay? But what we need to be doing is asking the Holy Spirit at any moment, what are you up to and how can I be involved? Now, I'm not saying you're going to see 
anything visual. That, by the way, I mean, I've had a couple of visions, but that was probably the most tangible, visible thing I've ever seen in God. But anyway, we need to be asking the Holy Spirit what he's up to and how can we be involved. We need to be doing that all the time. So that, and we need to do it in such a way that God is glorified because God the Father is glorified. The gift of righteousness we've been given by Christ should be obvious in manifestation out of us. A people who feel, think, act, and speak like Jesus all the time so that the world will see, not just the world, but angels and powers in heavenly places will see and know that God is glorious and praise him. Didn't know you were being watched by angels, did you? But it's true. The book of Ephesians tells us this. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. That you, the church, are God's vehicle for manifesting his manifold wisdom to powers and authorities in the heavenly places. Go look it up. Ephesians chapter 2. It's pretty important. That now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to, to authorities in heavenly places. So there's there are literal spirits, angels, the angelic realm, demons, are being informed of the character and nature of God through what God is doing in and through you. That's intense. It is intense. Okay. All right, that's where we're going to stop because I need to go back to class. Um, any questions before I go? Like Anything. I don't care. I don't, go. Okay, so I don't really understand the Holy Spirit. Yeah. If I could be wrong, I mean, I've been saved for a few years, but sure. I've only been like AG for like three. So, um... Like, I don't understand, like, when you say that he's a person. I know that, like, in the gospel, it says that he, they relate to him as a he. Yeah. But, like, I guess it's kind of like the Trinity thing. Like, I don't, like, I don't understand. That's like, tough. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, I don't understand what it is. Like, can you explain, like. The Holy Spirit. Well, uh, think about it like this. When you think about God the Father and God the Son, that's kind of easier, right? Yeah. Because we've got Jesus, and we know Jesus is God the Son. We know Jesus is God, but he's also not God the Father. Right? Are you with me on that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. We have God the Father. We have God the Son. And we have God the Holy Spirit. Okay. And the Bible doesn't give us a name for him except for Holy Spirit. And, but he is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. So he is a totally distinct third person of the Trinity. He is a person. And when we came to Christ, he is the one who saved us, who Jesus, okay, Jesus' death on the cross paid for our salvation. The Holy Spirit enacted our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that brought our spirits back to life, which were dead. And it is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us now, forming us into the image of Jesus for, at all times. The book of Romans says that the Holy Spirit is constantly praying to the Father 
in, about for us and through us. That's why you should. That's why we pray in tongues. Okay, when you pray in tongues, that is the Holy Spirit using your mouth to pray in a language you do not know. Things to the Father that are so perfect and beautiful that we probably couldn't even understand them if they were translated into English. Now, when you when a message uh, is given in tongues in an, in a crowd, it is to be interpreted into the language of the crowd. But that is a different gift than when you pray in the Holy Spirit in tongues, like at home in your prayer closet. And I love praying in tongues. It is really fun. And it's just really good. And there's so many times, there was a couple prayer times ago, I don't know, it was a few months ago, and the Lord's like, I was coming into a prayer time, it was a two-hour prayer meeting, and the Lord said to me, I don't want you to speak to me in English for the rest of the time. <laughs> I was like, um, okay. He said, I have some things I want to pray through you, for you, that you are not even aware of, but you need me praying these things through you right now. So I was like, yes, Lord. And I began to pray in the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues for the next two hours. It was one of the most awesome prayer meetings I've ever been in. There was only maybe one other person in the room, and I was just in there just on the top of my lungs. And I'm sure the other person was just like, what is going on over there? I don't care. It's not important. Okay, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. That's the Bible says that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that means that inside this frame, he's in there. Now, don't ask me where. I, I like to think of him as right here because that gives him the most room inside me. <laughs> no, I, I, I always think of him as right here. And so you, if, if you were ever in a prayer or worship service, and looked over at me, I probably have my hand right here or right here. And the reason it's there is because I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, help me worship. Help, you know, and move in this congregation. Stir people to worship. Stir people, you know, show them who Jesus is in this moment. I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit the whole time. And the Holy Spirit... When Jesus, after Jesus had raised from the dead, he was talking to the disciples. He had spent 40 days, he had spent, no, 10 days with them. Is that right? 30 days with them. Anyway, he spent some time with them post-resurrection, where Jesus would just show up and have class. He didn't sleep there, but, and they never knew when he was going to come. So they were just hanging out together because every once in a while, Jesus would just walk through the door. Hi! Literally through the door. They didn't open the door. Jesus walked through the door. Okay? Jesus. How you doing, guys? Don't be afraid. Thomas is like, too late. Okay? I'm so, so, so scared I sold myself. Go and change your armor. So anyway, there he is. Jesus would show up and he would have Bible class with them. And he would teach them about himself in the Old Testament. Okay, but one of the things he said to them is this. Hey, by the way, I'm leaving, and it's a good thing that I'm leaving. This conversation actually happened before he, before he was resurrected. But he said, I'm leaving, and it's a good thing that I'm leaving, because if I go, I will send another paraclete 
another one to come alongside you. And he is the spirit of truth. And he will guide you into all truth. And he will remind you of the things that I've said to you. Okay? So Jesus said, so stay. I think it was the, uh, did Jesus tell them to stay in the upper room or was it the angels after he resurrected? I don't remember. But I think it was Jesus. It's in the first chapter of Acts. Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. So the disciples stayed in this one big room. It was an upper room like this one. For 10 straight days, they were in a prayer meeting. And when they were all there together in one place, and they all had one mind about the situation, Jesus promised us that you, Father, would send us another comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Send us the Spirit of Truth. That's what they were praying. Please send us the Spirit of Truth. Okay? On the day of Pentecost which was 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay? A month and a half after Jesus' death and resurrection. They were all in that upper room. 120 people were up there. They were praying, asking for God to send the Spirit of Truth. And that's when there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire... The way the Bible pictures it is this gigantic flame like appeared over their heads and then it like broke up into pieces and landed on their heads. Can you imagine what it would be like if you're in a prayer meeting and all of a sudden everyone has their hair on fire? Because it doesn't say it hovered over their heads. It said it landed on their heads. Right? Ah! 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 That would be freaky. Right? And... They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they began, all of a sudden, to just speak in other languages. And we know the kind of things they were saying because there were people in the street who spoke the languages they were speaking, and they said, hey, you're speaking the praises and the mysteries of God. I'm like, really? I didn't know what I was speaking. <laughs> and that was the first time anybody ever spoke in tongues in the Bible. Okay? Unless you count the donkey which started speaking English, or not English, Hebrew. I mean, that was kind of a gift of tongues, wasn't it? I mean, think about it. <laughs> he doesn't normally speak Hebrew. <laughs> so, from that point forward, anyone who is a member of Jesus' church has the ability. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit is already present. But there is a second work of salvation called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're able to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It just, it's a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit than we had before. Where we are saturated by His power. And then we can live filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible commands us in Ephesians chapter 5 to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Stay under the faucet. That's the command. Be being filled. In the, the, in the, in the Greek, it is a... It's, I don't know, the, I don't know the, the words, but it's like... Start now and never stop being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So just stay under that, stay under that faucet forever. We need to be searching. We need to be having conversation with this beautiful, wonderful person who dwells on the inside of us. You need to get to know his voice because he will speak to you. He'll give you visions. He'll give you dreams. He'll, he'll give you direction. Okay, uh, last year around this time, I went to a conference and we were talking about the, the Holy Spirit and, and they were saying, you should be out there in the world looking for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I stopped to get gas and I walked into the gas station and I'm standing there at the counter, I'm paying for my gas and the guy behind the counter was like, bleepity bleep this and bleepity bleep that and my back hurts, blah, blah, blah. And the Holy Spirit goes, pray for him. Mm. And I went, did you hear his language? He doesn't like you. (laughs) The Holy Spirit goes, pray for him. So uh, naturally, I went back outside to my car. And I looked across at the guy that was there with me, traveling with me. And I said, I think I was supposed to pray for that guy. And he goes, then you better go in and pray for that guy. (laughs) Okay. So I walked back inside. And I'm like, hey. And the guy's like, what? Like, like. He was worried that I was like had a gun or something. I was like, it's okay. I said, you told me your back hurt. I want to pray for you. He was like, I, I said, is that okay? He was like, yeah, but let's go back over to the counter where there's cameras. Oh, wow. I'm serious. Like, I was like, that's fine. So we walked back over to the counter and I said, I'm just going to put my hand on your shoulder. I'm going to ask Jesus to heal your back. And then, you know, then I'll go. He's like, fine. And uh, so I prayed for him, and nothing happened. Jesus healed this man's back. Nothing happened. And I said, how do you feel? He goes, I feel fine. I I mean, it still hurts. (laughs) I was like, okay, let me pray for you again. Is that okay? Yes. So I said, Jesus asked you to heal this man's back. And he goes, okay, now it hurts a lot worse. And I was like, oh. And the Holy Spirit, again, said, it's a spirit of infirmity. Tell the spirit to go and then pray for him again. I'm like, this man doesn't know you. Uh (laughs) Plus, I'm pretty sure he was Muslim on top of everything else. I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm going to pray for you one more time. But before I do that, spirit of infirmity, leave this man alone in the name of Jesus. And then I prayed for him and he goes, oh my God. Whoa. (laughs) He's like, I, I feel completely better. I said, move around, make sure, you know, like whatever. So he's moving around. He felt He's like, it doesn't hurt at all. I said, well, Jesus loves you, and I just left. <laughs> I mean, what else am I going to do? Here, let me, let me walk you through this bracelet right now, uh-huh. which is probably what I should have done. But I was so excited about the fact that he got healed. I was like, I better get out of here before he finds out he's not actually healed, you know. <laughs> That's my lack of faith, folks. So it's right there, but Jesus did something awesome. But it was the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit saying to me, hey, pray for this guy. And if, I, if, if, if we don't put ourselves in, in the habit of listening to those whispers, because that's all it was, it was just a nudge. It was just like a, that's all it was. It was, just like, it was just like a nudge. If we don't make ourselves available to that, then the things God wants to do, the good works God's prepared beforehand for us to do, we're never going to do them. We have to be ready. Amen? Amen. All right. I love you guys. God bless you.
if you want to talk more about the Holy Spirit some other time, I'd be more than happy to do that. Yeah, I'll try. I kind of like him. He's a good guy. <laughs>